Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway. And I'm Cameron Conway. And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Hi, everyone. And welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway. And today we are going to talk about different ways to invest and the ever-present debate about passive and active investing, as well as the costs that come along with the different types of investments that you can choose. That's right. We're going to talk about the stock market, how to invest in it, different products that are available so you can just sit on a chair, kick up your feet and bring in the returns on a good day, on a bad day, just kind of curl into a ball and cry to yourself. Well, I was reminded earlier in the week that uh, there's so much of this that we kind of just take for granted. Or for people that do a lot of indexing, sometimes they'll just say, oh yeah, I buy the index, I set it and I forget it. And they maybe don't um, quite know what index they're buying, what they're following, and what it's made of. So I think all of that really plays into the decisions that you're making. I just buy what the anger guy on TV tells me to buy. And that's part of it. A lot of people do, right? The trouble with investment advice is that it's only as good as the person giving it to you. And the next day, it's probably going to be out of date as well. So take everything that we say here with a grain of salt, because we definitely fall into that category too. Yes, we are fallible human beings trying our best to understand the magical money machine that everyone just goes after to try and fuel their wishes, dreams, and retirements. So what is the stock market? And I mean, maybe even let's take it a step back and why buy stocks at all? Why is this something that people are so eager to get involved in, especially when the market seems to be this wild ride, especially in times like now? Probably because starting your own business is time consuming and hard. I think you hit the nail on the head there. People buy stocks primarily because they want to take advantage of all the benefits, all the growth that's occurred in the companies that they like without a lot of the risk, right? Like you said, the risk of being an entrepreneur, the risk of making a mistake. If you are running a company, uh, those can cost tons and tons of money and also I mean, there's still risk, of course, if you're invested in the market, the risk that the shares can go down. But really, you're leaving the decision-making process of how that company is going to be run to the management team. Well, exactly. People who make all kinds of money to make sure that you get your dividend at the end of every quarter. And that is an important note. They exist. Every board of directors out there, every CEO, every CFO, everyone in those high and lofty chairs making these decisions, they know that their heads will roll if they don't fulfill the mandate of making you money as a shareholder on a regular basis. So when decisions are made, and I mean, people can call businesses callous because sometimes they're just looking at the numbers and the bottom line. But the reason that is, is because these people making the decisions, their future, their future paycheck, and their continuity at that company or other companies that may want to hire them after their performance at this company is assessed, is all based on how well they do for you. So by participating 
in stock by buying stock, you get all of that kind of brain power behind you. And you also get the advantage of the stock market is so big that it's very liquid. You know, you, it's not like a privately held company where you've got to find a buyer and wait and wait and wait and do diligence and this and that. And the next thing, if you're trying to sell shares, it's there's always buyers that seem to be ready and, and waiting. So the stock markets and the stock market exchanges, they're like these giant matchmakers that put the buyers and the sellers together. Okay, let's back up for a second. What do you mean exactly by liquid? Are these companies having plumbing problems or something we should be aware of? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so what I meant by liquidity is that for every buyer, there's a seller and the market is big enough. So that means there's enough people wanting to buy and enough people wanting to sell at the same time that there's a match that can be made. I mean, back in the day, this used to be done at the stock exchanges on the floor where people were literally waving pieces of paper in the air saying, I got a buyer, I got a buyer. I've got a buyer, I got a buyer, I've got a heart attack, I've got a buyer, that, that whole spiel. Yeah, yeah, like you've seen in the movies. But now it's all done electronically, of course, just to facilitate all of these transactions. But when you think about the size of some of these companies that are traded on the markets, they have huge numbers of shares outstanding at any point in time. And by shares, you just mean it's a percentage of ownership in the company. So it could be like you have a share, you have like one hundredth of a million of a stake of the company, right? That's right. A share is just saying that you've bought in and you now are, like you said, a unit holder or a, sorry, shareholder would be the more appropriate term in this case. Yeah, and different shares could have different perks, like some get better dividends, some get better voting rights, and it kind of depends on the company. But in essence, you own a small sliver of a company. That's right. And there's a whole bunch of analysis out there that people can do and go through to decide if a stock is at a good price. I mean, you can see it. Uh, there's analysts all the time that are rating stocks as buys or holds or sells. And there's lots of different metrics. This is probably a conversation for a whole other day. But things like um, price to earnings ratio, where you look at the stock price and you look at how much earnings have occurred for every share. And you're basically trying to figure out how much are you willing to pay for a dollar of that company's earnings. But there's, uh, there's a whole load of things that we can look at and, and talk about maybe in a later podcast. Yeah, exactly. There's all the different things you can look at. And it's also deciding what your end goal is when you're looking at these stocks. Do you want to buy it and flip it at a profit or do you just want the dividends? Because two different strategies, depending on where you go. But a lot of people, they don't really care as much for buying one or two or three stocks. They want a bigger option like an index fund or something like that. Uh, can you tell me what that is? Sure. And index funds have gotten quite a bit more popular just because they can usually be done very cheaply and usually through something called an ETF, an exchange traded fund that we'll talk about a little bit later. But the first thing to really look at is when you're choosing an index, what are you looking to invest in? Because an index is really just a comparative measure. So you have to decide what are you wanting to compare? What are you wanting to track the movement of? And I think that we can talk a little bit about the most popular indexes for the stock markets in North America, because that would be appropriate for what we're doing. And of course, there are others globally as well. 
Okay, so what would you say are like the three big indexes we should be aware of? Yeah, so if we're starting in the States, uh, the S&P 500, that's the Standard & Poor's 500, that's probably the big one. And what it actually does is it represents about 80% of the U.S. market. So that's how people are able to look at the S&P 500 and say, this is an indication of how the economy in the U.S. is doing. Yeah, exactly. It's a good gauge of the overall health of the economy. And but at the same time, there is the good or the bad that those companies are driving. And then there's reactions to things out of their control. So you have to be aware of the news, the companies and kind of balance the two out where a company could be doing great, but something unexpected happens. They have nothing to do with and it'll just send a little shockwave in and it could drop their price, which if you're thinking about it, it could actually be a benefit when those little crashes happen. You can buy it cheap and then buff up your your portfolio after. That's right. And it's a good point. The market is not always going to behave rationally. So it's not always just the company that you've invested in and what their earnings prospects are and what their growth prospects are for the future. Sometimes it's something as simple as we've had a really bad news day. Yeah, exactly. I think I said this on another podcast, but if you want to enjoy your time on the stock market, you have to stop looking at it as some sort of logical creature like Spock from Star Trek, and you have to look at it as a emotional reaction compounded by millions of people all at once. Right. And that's why we have something called the VIX, which is a volatility index. So it it's also called the fear gauge. It really, what it measures is how many people are saying, buy, 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 or sell, sell, sell on any given day. And that spikes the trading volume. And you can really see the market move up and down based totally on sentiment after a bad news story has happened. Yeah. And a lot of the smart investors, they tend to be on the opposite end of the spectrum when that happens. When everyone's going buy, 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 they may be trying to sell to feed the buying. Or when people are a sell, 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 they're going to buy stuff at a discount. And you got to realize every transaction has two sides for it, right? For So for everyone who is selling and saying, oh my goodness, I've got to dump this stock right now. There's someone on the other end of that trade that's saying, this makes good sense to buy. And a lot of the large volume really happens by bigger, well-researched institutional investors that have kind of done their homework and gone through a lot of the analysis that we can talk about a little bit later. Okay. So sticking with the S&P, if it's like a gauge of the overall economy, um, what are the different things that are actually inside of it to kind of paint this picture? Let's talk about how it's actually composed and weighted. So in this case, the S&P 500 is based on 500 companies that are in the States, and it's weighted based on something called market capitalization. And market capitalization is a simple calculation that looks at the number of shares outstanding for a company multiplied by the current price of one share. So the ones that have a high price and a lot of shares outstanding have a greater weight on the overall index. So for example, we were looking at it a little bit today and on the S&P 500, Apple was actually right at the top there with almost 7% of the index and Microsoft wasn't too far behind. The rivalry continues. So um, you can kind of see that as a company has grown and gotten larger, it has a greater influence on how that whole index acts. 
Yeah, exactly. So you got Apple, Microsoft up atop, and then if you also got um, Alphabet and some of the other tech stocks, and so they kind of drive the overall picture, which is why it can get skewed sometimes where you have this small sector of tech companies, which kind of set the course for the overall index. So it's good to know what else is in there beyond just like the big five tech companies. Yeah. And tech really has been a game changer just because of how much it's grown over the last number of years. And tech, to a certain extent, I mean, if if we think back to the big tech bubble and the tech crash that happened, it's unpredictable in certain ways because it's always based on new technology and new developments and things that we haven't actually seen or seen implemented yet. But because these large companies keep growing, they keep having a greater and a greater influence on this particular index to the point where if you're looking at the sectors, is just a portion of the economy or a way of categorizing companies that are in a similar field. So Back to our tech example, tech is almost 28% of the index now. So what that means is if you see any of these big names in tech having a bad day, it can really make it look like the whole index is having a bad day just because of how heavily weighted it is. And of course, that's a sector that has really great highs and they can come down pretty quick too, right? So you kind of get both sides of the coin in there. Well, yeah, exactly. Tech is such a big part of the overall bubble. Like you said, Google, Facebook, Apple, they have a bad day. There's a cloudy day in the metaverse, so to speak, and it just throws the whole thing off. But you've got other things in the index too, like uh, healthcare, uh, retail sales, financials, industrials, mining, all these other things that help kind of fill in the picture of what everyone else outside of Silicon Valley is doing out there. Yeah. So it's important to know what those weightings are. So if we said uh, tech is around just under 28% at this point, healthcare is the next biggest one at around 13% of the index. Then consumer discretionary, which means it's not something that's essential, but it's something that you might want to buy. That's almost well, just under 13%. Financials at 11, communications at 10, and then it kind of goes on and on from there. But you can really see how each sector can really influence the whole index. And depending on what's happening in the economy, there are always going to be good times to be in certain sectors and bad times to be in certain sectors. I mean, the S&P 500 did so well during the pandemic because IT and healthcare were the top two. So, and you could say that works both ways as well. Maybe IT and healthcare are the top two because that was a necessity. So those companies grew during that time. Well, yeah. Another thing you have to look at is how interconnected a lot of these companies and sectors are. Like, let's look back at like um, Microsoft and Apple. They're tech companies. You think software, but there's also the hardware side, but the hardware side is dependent on manufacturing. We got the chip shortage going on, which is affected by the inability to produce enough. So that is building material, that is people, that is raw material. So all these things have to work together to kind of feed the tech bubble. But so you still need money, manufacturing, labor, and everything else. So this is all tied together and it becomes very interdependent of one another. 
The next index that we're going to look at is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And this is over with our neighbors in the States as well. Now, when this was started, it was quite a bit different than what it's turned into today. It used to just track industrial-based stocks, which is kind of where the name came from. The name actually came from uh, two of the founders, the people that came up with the index and their company, uh, and the fact that it, it tracked industrials. Well, exactly. Back then, the biggest companies were like GE, Standard Oil, and a lot of these other like early American big corporations. And now what it really does is just track the 30th most watched stocks in the market, right? So they're, they've really evolved from, from that, from looking at the industrials, to looking at 30 large publicly owned companies, and typically companies that are traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, which are just two, two big stock exchanges in the States. Yeah, the New York is sort of the generic go and buy everything. NASDAQ is like a more curated top companies, but mostly tech. Lots and lots of tech in there. So when tech has a bad day, the NASDAQ has a really, really bad day. So the Dow Jones is really about just tracking the movers and shakers. It's trying to see who's really moving the market rather than watching such a big basket like we see with the S&P 500, which, like its name implies, tracks 500 top companies. This one is only looking at 30. But I mean, there's names in there like Apple, Boeing, Caterpillar, um, stocks like Chevron, Home Depot, Johnson & Johnson's, Coca-Cola, McDonald's threw their hat in the mix. And I mean, even things like Walmart and uh, Walt Disney. So there is a good sample there, but it's really the list can change based on what's going on and how things are performing. And this index is a little bit different just because it's price weighted. Price weighting just means that a stock with a higher price will have more weight in the index than a stock with a lower price. So it'll have a greater influence on how the index has performed. So it's really tracking the changes in the value on the stocks on a regular basis. So to say it in a different way, a price-weighted index is looking at the price per share for each stock that is included in the index, and it divides it out usually by the total number of stocks that are in that index. And ultimately, it's just meant to be a little bit more simple than the S&P 500. Okay, everyone stuck along for this long. This podcast is called It's Personal Finance Canada. Can we talk about the TSX now? Absolutely. So if you're looking at the Canadian stock market, you're looking at the index called the S&P TSX Composite Index, or if you're wanting a more condensed version, it's the S&P TSX Composite 60, which as the name implies, just tracks 60 stocks as opposed to the S&P TSX Comp, which is a much larger representation. So what is this one doing? It's actually looking at 70% roughly of the stocks that are, are um, at the largest market capitalization on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So remember how we were talking about the S&P 500 being based on market capitalization. So the biggest movers and shakers, the biggest companies, the ones that have the most number of shares outstanding, they're getting the higher weighting, the higher percentage in the index. This one works the same way. So you've got the Canadian index here 
focusing on market capitalization as well. But the way it shakes down when you look at our sectors and which ones are kind of taking the top, it's significantly different than what you see in the States. So when you talk about diversification, even just comparing these two indexes, they're so fundamentally different that if you just had one and then the other, you'd be invested in a wide variety of sectors. Oh, yeah, exactly. Just kind of looking at the chart for the TSX 60. Well, remember we talked about S&P, their number one was tech with about 28%. But you go north of the border, the largest sector here is financials. So like the big five banks, insurance companies, which makes up almost 32% of our index. And then that's followed closely by energy, which is 15%, which is all the oil and gas companies. And then you get into materials, industrial. And we're in the States, their healthcare was the second biggest. Ours is pretty much dead last with less than 1%. Yeah. And a lot of these things that you see in the S&P TSX 60 is very, very close, which is why it's also another good metric to what we're seeing in the larger index, in the TSX composite index. So basically in that case, you're seeing financials, it's about 32%, so very, very close. And then energy coming in at 13%. And it's really interesting to kind of look back historically at how things have changed in our economy here in Canada. If you go back even as far as 2017, which is really not that long ago, we're just talking five years ago, the energy portion of the weighting in the uh, S&P TSX composite was closer to 20% at that point in time. It was just around the 19% mark. And it's really decreased to the 13% that it's at today. So that really shows you the shift that has happened in our economy. So when you're comparing Canada to the US, you can really see the differences in how our economies are composed. But um, the point of this whole talk today, as interesting as all of this is, was really just to give people a good reminder of if you're investing in an index, to be aware of what you are in investing in and not just saying something like, I'm invested in the States. Okay, well, which index are you following? What does it track and what sectors does it represent? Or I'm invested in Canada. Well, like we just saw, that's a very, very different picture than someone that's invested in the States. Well, exactly. Just looking at the weighting indexes, like you saw, if you're following the U.S. indexes, you are loading up on Apple, Microsoft, Google. You're loading up on the indexes in Canada. You're loading up on like RBC, TD and oil companies. So think again about your own portfolio and your goals, like Cameron had mentioned earlier. What are you trying to accomplish with this particular holding that you have? And is this something that you're keeping for the long term where you might be more comfortable with the fluctuations that you could see uh, in something that's maybe a little bit more tech heavy with, of course, the earnings potential that comes with that? Or are you looking for maybe a little bit more stability, like what you can get through a bank that pays a regular dividend, that has a profit motive, uh, especially in an environment where we're in now, where there's been lots of talk about interest rates increasing, which will be, of course, good for the bottom line for the banks. Okay, we spent a lot of time talking about what the indexes are, what are the big ones for North America, what are the things to look at, the pros, the cons kind of thing, but let's say I am a laid back investor, 
I like what I see with the overall index and how the whole thing is marketed and built. How do I actually invest in this and be- and take in the benefits? Absolutely. So if you've decided that you're a passive investor, so you're not looking for active management, you're okay with just buying it, setting it, forgetting it, let let the world play out the way the world will go. Uh, cost becomes a big factor when you're considering what you want to buy. And that's why exchange traded funds or ETFs have gotten quite a bit of popularity over the last little while. There's uh, big companies out there like Vanguard, BlackRock with their iShares. Uh, BMO has some good ones too. The prices to follow indexes are very, very, very low. I was looking at the Vanguard uh, S&P 500 ETF and it was 0.06% just to follow the index. So there's no management fee. There's no advice. There's nothing kind of tied into that. You're just buying a vehicle that's going to follow another vehicle, basically. Exactly. The uh, index is like a boat and you're just stuck in the parasail. (laughs) Something along those lines. But um, what... What we like to do and what we like to offer customers that are in this category where they want passive investment is we have a relationship with a company called Nest Wealth, which is a robo-advisor, and they have passive as well as a few actively managed portfolios. But for the passive side, they'll buy these ETFs, but they'll also connect you with an advisor. So in our case, in our relationship with Nest Wealth, there's an additional fee that's built in there so that you have access to a financial planner to help you with any of the other questions that you might have around which accounts to set up. Can I actually retire off of all of this? All of that stuff. So rather than going it alone, you're actually still getting these heavily discounted ETF rates that are out there in the market, but you still get access to someone like us that can help you out through the process. Yeah, exactly. You get to talk to a real person. You're not at the mercy of the dancing Al Gore in a server somewhere. But no, the algorithm, algorithm, everyone. I think I've heard that one before. But still, it applies. Do you just want to be at the mercy of an algorithm or do you want a chance to actually talk to someone when things go up and down like they are right now? Right. So I would say if cost is the biggest factor and you're comfortable doing it yourself, buying something passive like an ETF does make sense. If you want someone to bounce your ideas off of, or if you need a little bit of help and some guidance along the way, Or if you want to talk about bigger picture issues as well, like retirement planning, wealth transfer, things like that, then this can be a great solution because it combines the best of both worlds. ETFs can also be much more specific. We've spent a lot of our time today talking about the major indexes, but I mean, you can also choose sector specific or ETFs with a particular focus. Um, if that's something that you have a personal interest in or that you like to track. Oh, yeah. You can get ones just for energy, just for tech. And uh, a growing one is sort of the ethical ones. So some people have issues with different companies. They go the ethical ETF route and they have a they can sleep better at night. Yeah. Socially responsible investing has really grown over the last number of years. And there's lots of metrics that um, are used to determine if a company can be included in a socially responsible portfolio. And I know that these are portfolios that we offer as well. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. I remember a couple of years ago, we only had what one or two carriers that provided this. And now almost all of them are meeting this need. Yeah, it's it's people want to be socially responsible and they're wanting to kind of reduce their footprint in this world and leave it as good of a place as they can for their own kids. Right. So we see this taking more of a forefront for people that are looking for that type. Now, that's a bit of a conversation for another day, just because that's getting into more active management, more active stock selection. And basically, anytime you're adding things to the basics, like portfolio management, like additional filters that you want to use to choose stocks, you're going to be adding to the cost. So indexing is the bare bones. But as you get a little bit more fancy with it, of course, the costs are going to go up. And a lot of people will invest in mutual funds or segregated funds, um, mutual funds being just portfolios that are constructed by active managers. And the fees that you pay for that cover the cost of management, the cost of your advisor, the operating costs of the funds. Uh, any taxes that could be included in there as well. It's usually a percentage on an ongoing basis. And MERs, I think the average MER in Canada right now is about the 2.23% range. Uh, segregated funds, just really quickly, if you're looking at active management, are pretty well exactly the same as a mutual fund, except they're issued through an insurance company. This is something that we do quite a bit through our company, just because they have some incredible guarantees on maturity of the contract or as death benefit guarantees. And they have some really neat ways to pass money to your beneficiaries incredibly efficiency in an incredibly efficient manner. Yeah, and you can stick some ETFs in them too. That's correct. Yes, a lot of the seg funds have come up with combination products now that can include ETFs or that can just be ETFs with a life insurance wrapper around it to make it a segregated fund. So if you've heard something that you're interested in today or interested in learning more about and you're in BC, feel free to come talk to us at Braun Financial. That's braunfinancial.com. We're always happy to meet new people and have these conversations. We, of course, have access to a wide range of products uh, we didn't even get into talking today. While we don't trade stocks internally, we do have relationships with other organizations that do that where where we can be retained as the advisor and you can work with someone and get active advice on a stock portfolio if you want to go that route instead of the do-it-yourself self-directed route. We also work on a fee-for-service basis for some people that are just looking to get a second opinion and talk to us about how things are going in their own financial plans. So until next time, as always, we wish you well, take care, and all the best. Sell, 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 sell. Bye, 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 bye.